welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. So I've gone from this kind of real connection, starting to question things, starting to build a relationship with my dad after 30 odd years, realizing that actually he's a very successful entrepreneur. Perhaps that's who I should have been. Perhaps I made the wrong decision with my fitness business. Perhaps I should have done it. All these things are going on, right? Then he dies suddenly. I sort of come back from that. I come back to, to the UK. And a couple of weeks after that, I wake up in the middle of the night. It's about 3 a.m. And I'm in a lot of pain and my face is all swollen. The right side of my jaw is really throbbing. And I go into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and it's all red and swollen. It's like I've been punched in the face. And what's happened is I have literally gripped my teeth, clenched my teeth in my sleep through probably a culmination of so many things going on that I've partly explained. And I cracked the two molars. Like not just cracked them, like they're shattered. Like there's, there's actually teeth in my mouth. takes quite a bit of pent-up, anxious energy to grind your teeth so violently that they disintegrate. But that's just what this week's guest, Nick Bradley, did. And would you believe he says that moment of terrible physical pain brought on by equally terrible emotional pain was one of the best things that ever happened to him. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. In his discussion with Warwick and me, Nick details how shattering his teeth was the outward manifestation of his inner turmoil. A successful businessman who had discovered his high achievements came at the price of low fulfillment. So he changed the trajectory of his life. He started a business consultancy and launched the Scale Up Your Business podcast to help clients and listeners be grateful, be brave, be faithful, and show up for work and for life in ways that bring them satisfaction and significance beyond the bottom line. Well, Nick, thanks again, and uh, wonderful to have a fellow Australian. You were very kind to have me on your podcast, Scale Up Your Business, and we had a, a tremendous conversation. Um, so before we get into scale up your business, I'd love a bit of the the origin story, the Nick Bradley origin story. Obviously, uh, from Australia, but uh, you lived in the UK for like close to twenty years. I married a a girl from over there. I'm guessing in the UK. So it's kind of what happens. I married an American girl, and she brought me back to uh, you know the US. So yeah, it kind of happens. So <laughs> which is all good, but. Um, so tell me, you know, kind of what's the origin story of your interest in entrepreneurship, equity? You grew up in Adelaide. So tell me a bit, a bit about how you grew up, and and you've clearly always had a fascination with entrepreneurship. Origin story, yeah. So as you see, Warwick, you know, I grew up in this place called Adelaide. Um, it's funny, right? You know, I can't really lie about it because you know Australia so well, right? You know, I can often sort of say things about Adelaide and people go, oh, it sounds like this nice, quaint little town. Um, I often say it's famous for three things. Um, sharks, big sharks. They filmed a lot of Jaws open water scenes there. Uh, lots of churches, you know, heaps. Of, it used to be, I think it's called the City of Churches. Yeah. And the third thing, which always freaks people out, is serial killers. We had this kind of spate of serial killers. Seriously, like, you know, yeah, this is not the podcast to go into that. But um, I suppose the, the summary of that is I had to leave, and I did. 
And I got into the world of media, and that's where you and I sort of connected a little bit. I, I worked for Rupert Murdoch for a number of years, uh, specifically for his uncle, um, who, who owned a, a company called uh, Murdoch Magazines. And, um, and I sort of cut my teeth in that world for a number of years, um, which got me to the UK because I left that company and worked for a business called EMAP, East Midlands Allied Press. And I suppose it was like 15 years in corporate, you know, in reasonably senior leadership positions. I was, I was in um, sort of board level roles before I was 30, but I had my first taste of, of exiting businesses around 2007 when we sold EMAP to a couple of private equity firms and also a bigger German publisher. And I was involved in the sort of transition before exit. And then I saw what happened after exit. And I thought, I need, to, I need to go a little bit deeper into this world. So I joined another company called Getty Images, based out of Seattle, mm-hmm. but I was working for them in London and New York. And that was a business that was scaled through a number of different private equity investments and exits. And we did multiple numbers of acquisitions when I was there. In fact, I was involved with about 30 of them. There's over 100 acquisitions in total. And that just got me into this whole world of let's call it investment banking, corporate finance, high level wealth creation, all through M&A, mergers and acquisitions. And, you know, I won't get to the punchline because <laughs> it is, you know, the crucible leadership sure, um, sure. story, but, but let, let's just say the person I am today versus the person I was through that pretty amazing ride is very, very different um, because of some things that happened, but that, that's how it all started. And I got kind of addicted to this world of cut and thrust, private equity, wealth, money, power, status. Um, and it served me for a certain period of time, but then after a while I needed to make a few changes. So, and that's fascinating. And one of the other things I think of Adelaide being famous for is is wine, the Barossa Valley. And at least in the US, you see wine bottles with, you know, it'll say like Southeastern Australia. And I don't know what that means. Southeastern Australia could be like 70% of the population or something. As in, an like arc from Adelaide to Brisbane. In, in that, I think. Yeah. yeah you know, but, so not, uh, they don't get it right. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean, were your parents entrepreneurs? I mean, where do you get this sort of this business gene of loving the cut and thrust of entrepreneurship and business, where'd that come from? So this is this is an interesting part of the story. I I had a business in Adelaide before I moved to Sydney when I started moving into the world of, of publishing. And it was a small personal training business. Um, but at the time, we're talking sort of late 80s, early 90s, uh, personal training wasn't a thing. You know, you know, the people who had personal trainers were doctors, lawyers, stockbrokers, you know, it wasn't something that's as commonplace as it is today. And I started that business not really knowing much, but, you know, my grandfather, who was a big influence on me growing up, he was like, are you, are you really going to do this? Why don't you go get a job? You know, a job equals safety. Right. And I had that in the back of my, my mind. So I closed the business down. I sold it to a friend, not for, not for much money, because uh, I just sold my client list, really. Um, but what was interesting about that whole first uh, introduction to entrepreneurship is I met some very, very um, wealthy, powerful, influential people uh, and that was how I ended up meeting Matt Hambry and Rupert Murdoch through that, you know, having a personal training business. But the story is I sort of thought, you know, okay, well, I'm not going to do this entrepreneurial thing. Everyone in my family is saying it's not a good thing to do, go and get a job. So that's what I did. And I suppose the long story short of that is 15 years of my life was a frustrated entrepreneur, or they call them entrepreneurs or something crazy like that, in businesses and I just kept getting either promoted or sacked. 
there was no middle grounds. So I, I got promoted up because I was this chippy, this chippy Australian guy, or I annoyed someone on the on the ladder upwards, you know, who wanted the job I was going for or something else, and then I got sacked. And that's kind of how it happened. But I was sacked within the companies, so I was moved around these divisions. <laughs> but but here's here's the interesting part to your question, right? So I, I was this frustrated entrepreneur. I was quite successful, but I wasn't really happy with what I was doing. And what happened was my father, uh, he left our family when I was two years of age. Oh my God. Um, you know, the usual stuff that happens, you know, mum and him just sort of fell out. But then he came back into my life in my late thirties. So it was something like huh. 35 years difference. And he was a very, very successful entrepreneur in Australia. He had um, a business, a jewelry business that was based in Collins Street. In fact, he had a couple of different sites in Melbourne. And he lost that business in his early 40s because there was a, a bombing, a terrorist bombing, the Turkish consulate. Huh. And he went from being effectively a millionaire to being bankrupt within the space of this incident because there's no uh, insurance for things like that. Now, I didn't know any of this, right? None of this. But then he came back into my life and I realized that, you know, he'd done this. He was very much an entrepreneur. After that uh, incident, he ended up building another business in his 40s into his 50s and, you know, effectively a millionaire again in a separate business. So when I met him, I realized that I had these kind of genes, these desires, this different outlook, whatever you want to define entrepreneurship as, that for many years I would repressed. Mm-hmm. And it was when I met him, all of a sudden it was like, wow. Perhaps I need to lean into this a bit more. You had this inner conviction that this is what I want to do, and you went for it, which is, which is really remarkable. So, see, so you're in these these companies. You were somebody that wasn't afraid to offer your opinion, and sometimes that's accepted well. Those who are maybe insecure, it's like, ah, Nick, no, thank you for your opinion. You've given it to me about ten times on the subject. You just be quiet, go away, and. You know, the, I mean, there's some people that, you know, unfortunately are too insecure or small-minded that doesn't work. But um, so but at some point you went to be an entrepreneur yourself and uh, got into, you know, private equity. So how did that transition happen from just working within a corporate sphere to more going into private equity, venture capital, that kind of thing? Yeah, so I, I, my corporate career from the outside looking in was pretty successful, as I said to you beforehand, in terms of um, positions and, and, and money and, and, you know, roles, all those sort of things, responsibility. Um, when I got into private equity, it felt like a natural fit because I was the guy that would effectively go and fix up problems. So the private equity firms would put me into situations that they found quite difficult operationally. So I wasn't the guy who would sit back with the spreadsheet, the MBA from Harvard and mm-hmm. all that, you know, I wasn't that guy. I was, let's go in there and see if the people in this business can actually make um, make it work and create value. And if they couldn't, you know, for the assessment that I would mm-hmm. give from being in there, then I would, I would be the person who would deliver the change, the transformation. And I was uh, remunerated by, both the, the, you know my time spent doing that, but also the the amount of value I could create by any change that I made. So if a business was invested in by a private equity firm, the investment went backwards, so it wasn't worth um, as much as what they paid for it. I would be um, paid, if you like, on what I could do to get it back to um, zero, get it back to above water, and then any growth that could come from it. And so I found my niche in that. I found my niche. So this was I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur then. 
but I was operating in a very, very precise way in a very, very interesting environment. Yeah, it was an entrepreneurial spirit of, okay, we need to make some changes here, get value for the shareholders. And um, yeah, he, you know, usually want it done fairly quickly. So you did that for a while. Uh, and it sounds like you were very good at it, sort of the turnaround guy, which is very you know, valued uh, in businesses. Somebody can come around and make a big change quickly, uh, which obviously all investors want, understandably. So you did that. But it's so. Does that kind of lead into uh, I think what you call the uh, the teeth incident, where you know <laughs> the teeth incident. A, a, a lot of bad things happened. Is that so? It sounds like professionally things were going gangbusters. Things were going really well. You were very good at what you did. You've had almost like a Liam Neeson, like a, a particular special set of skills, right? That not everybody it's very does. Much like that, yeah. You it know? is. And um, again, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm being flippant, but I'm not. Uh, you know. But but you were seriously good at what you were doing, and it, and you were you were paid, uh, understandably, which is as it should be in a market economy. If you provide value, you should share in the profits. That's what the whole market economy is built on. It makes total sense. So you were doing really well, and at one level, you enjoyed what you were doing. But yet, so talk about how that you were succeeding. You're doing tremendously, and then that led into the teeth incident, which led to a pivot in your life. So talk about. The crucible, yeah, so the teeth, nothing, and the pivot. <laughs> there's nothing worse than, than getting a conscience, right? You know, it's a little bit like probably the best way to describe it. If any, if any listeners have seen Jerry Maguire, where he he kind of wakes up one day and he writes this sort of memorandum, which gets him sacked. It was a bit like that. Was, but there was a lot of things going on at the time. Right. So when you when you get up to the top table in some of these um, you know investment businesses, private equity firms, that sort of stuff. Uh, th- th- there are there are some certain decisions that are made that are very much about the money that's going to be created, and and I was involved in in some of those situations where the value that we were extracting from entrepreneurs who built good businesses was disproportionately favoured towards the private equity firms and the investors. So you know we would actively go out there and try and get deals, right? And you know, you could argue that's fair. You know, what's that whole mm-hmm. caveat emptor sort of thing, right? Sure. But, but you know, th- there's a point where, you know, and I know this now more so because I've delved right into it. A lot of the people who build great businesses are good at doing that, but they don't know how to manage what happens, you know, up up in the echelons of of exits and things like that. And you see that all the time. You see people who sell businesses, but they don't they don't really get the value for it. And and I was starting to sort of develop this conscience around it, thinking. Do I really want to go and do this uh, when you know I'm not effectively lying, but the integrity levels of what I'm doing is not where I want to play? Now, why I started to develop this conscious is partly because my dad had come back into my world, and I realized that as a successful entrepreneur, the people that I was screwing over were people like him. And I'm thinking, oh God, this is not feeling very good. And I was starting to get a bit sick, right? Just you know, I wasn't feeling very good. I was feeling very stressed, and then two things happened. Firstly, I went away on this trip uh, to Vermont and my dad flew there from Melbourne. I was living in the UK. He was I'm sorry, you Australia. flew to where? To Vermont. Vermont in um, Oh, Vermont. The US. Vermont. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. your, your accent's better than mine. <laughs> um, yeah, no worries. And, and I ran a race there. I ran the, uh, they've got a hundred mile race. I ran the hundred kilometers, you know, because I was obviously not, not strong enough to do the hundred mile. But anyway, um, so my dad turns up, you know, we spend this amazing two weeks together. We leave, you know, everything's great. He's hanging out with my daughter, who's, you know, a couple of years old. 
And, you know, literally 12 months to the day later, I'm in Melbourne by his, by his bed and he dies that day. He gets very, very aggressive cancer. Lots of things go wrong. Um, so I've gone from this kind of real connection, starting to question things, starting to build a relationship with my dad after 30 odd years, realizing that actually he's a very successful entrepreneur. Perhaps that's who I should have been. Perhaps I made the wrong decision with my fitness business. Perhaps I should have done it. All these things are going on, right? Then he dies suddenly. Now, I, I sort of come back from that. I come back to, to the UK and a couple of weeks after that, I wake up in the middle of the night, it's about 3 a.m. And I'm in a lot of pain and my, my face is all swollen. The right side of my jaw is really just throbbing. And I go into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and it's all red and swollen. It's like I've been punched in the face. And what's happened is I have literally gripped my teeth, clenched my teeth in my sleep through probably a culmination of so many things going on that I've partly explained. And I crack the two molars. Like not just crack them, like they're shattered. Like there's there's actually teeth in my mouth. Yeah, oh my taste gosh! Them. And I, you know, first first thing happens, like I almost I'm awake, right? I take some some pills. I in the morning I go to the doctor as soon as I can get there. They send me to the dentist. They examine it. The dentist says I've only seen this happen before, and it's usually people who are in very high stress stress situations. And I sort of spoke to my wife after this, like you know, after I got it sorted out, and said I've got to change this. I've got, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, I literally, that was the moment that I did change it. And within the following days, weeks, months after that is when I started to do the stuff I'm doing now. Before you ask the next question, Warwick, I want to, no pun intended about crooked teeth or uh, broken teeth. I want to drill down into something you said, Nick, when you started maybe seven, eight minutes ago in this conversation, you just very matter of factly said that your life from the outside looking in was successful. What you've just described at the end of your story there was from the inside looking out, not so much so. And I think a lot of our listeners maybe find themselves in that same position, that success sometimes can be a crucible in and of itself if it doesn't provide those things that Warwick talks about that lead to a life of significance. Would you say that was a as much or sort of as much a crucible as the teeth incident was what you realized that from the outside looking in, everything was successful, but from the other direction, it wasn't. I know this now because I've, I've, I've examined it more for myself than others. I know there's lots of millionaires who still cry to sleep, right? You know, so, you know, yeah. they may look great. Like, you know, I had everything, right? You know, the cars, the houses, the whole piece, but I wasn't living to what I now understand were proper values that, you know, inspired me you know, so that I could create wealth and impact. But I, you know, to your point, Gary, yes. I mean, at the extreme of it, a lot of people don't make decisions. They sit within areas where they're sort of not, it's not too bad. It's not bad enough that they make change. So it's not great. It's not bad. It's in the middle. And that's what I was, you know, I was looking at the outside. I didn't look great, but actually I wasn't, I wasn't feeling congruent. I mean, that's, that's sort of fascinating because I think of that quote from Thoreau, you know, we can live lives of quiet discontent. I mean, you weren't like sobbing on the floor, but it just it seemed like there was something nagging within you saying, is this all there is? Or I'm just tired of coming in and, you know, getting rid of the uh, the previous regime. And, you know, maybe it's not about lying, but, you know, maybe, maybe there was other choices that may have been better for a wider group of constituencies, employees, 
owners community, but you know, maybe not, you know, the shareholders and private equity and you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of issues, but when you're in on a track, you tend to block out those other thoughts because they're uncomfortable and you just focus, okay, I've got a job here and, you know, carried empty or buy beware and all that. But it just sounds like maybe it was with your dad dying, those thoughts, some, some people don't come to that pivot point, but you did. You know, why do you think you hit that pivot when you probably know scores of people that were just like you, your age, your time of life, and they didn't pivot? They said, oh, I hear what you're saying, but it's the world we live in and let's just keep going. Why did you pivot when so many don't? I'll answer that. Um, but, but before I do, I want to say that most people never will. And that, and, that, and that is the travesty for me, right? In different ways, right? You know, it's the same as someone who's in the job they hate for years and then all of a sudden right. they realize that time is running out to make any changes. I, th- I think, you know, I had I was lucky because I had an inflection point. You know, the inflection point, which, you know, however you think about these things, you know, I believe these things serve you, right? So my dad coming back in and giving me a message at that point, which I, I, I did resist. He tried to get back into my life multiple times, but there was a point where I thought, you know what, let's just see where this goes. That created the inflection point for me to, back to my point around things are either really good or really bad. It got to a point where things were so bad that I needed to change it. That's the inflection point, hmm. right? And so any fear I had previously of maybe going out and, and building a business, building an empire, all the different things I'm sort of more involved in now, uh, I was too scared to leave the comfort of, you know, six, seven figure money coming in all the time until the pain got so bad I needed to make that change. And the pain was realistically health. Am I showing up as a good example for my kids? You know, am I, am I, am I that person? And if I answered those honestly at the point in time, I wasn't, and those things are important to me. So I, I want to shift to what you do now, but just so that sometimes opposites or, I want to say darkness illuminates the light, but you know maybe um, challenges illuminate the light. Just to, so that we can understand better what you do now, what was it about your life or what you were doing that was causing you so much anxiety within you, that was causing so much inner turmoil? Because it wasn't like you were doing anything illegal. You were just doing standard operating practice, perhaps, in your industry. So what's wrong with, you know, it's the market economy, but yet something was really troubling it. How would you sort of summarize the elements that were troubling you so much that caused you to shift? You know, there's no such thing in my mind as, as what I call, you know, standardized integrity, right? Like, you know, what you, what you mm. think and what I think are different things. We're not wrong. It's, it's sure. whatever, whatever feels comfortable. I, there were decisions. Nothing was illegal, of course. But, you know, I, I would sit in rooms and the conversation would be, you know, just create fear and uncertainty in the mind of that entrepreneur so we can get a lower value. Say some stuff here, which is kind of on the borders of being real, just so we can, you know, create a wedge. So not, you know, it's, it's more unethical than what I would call illegal, mm-hmm. but it's like, really? Do we, you know, and, and I think back, there was a point in time where I was so driven around achievement that I didn't care about that. Right? Like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But once I met my dad and that, that period of time was over a few years, he came back in. I started to question things differently. I thought, I'm now a dad myself. All of that started to happen. Do I really want to be this person? And how important is it anyway? And so that was that was the thinking. So I don't, you know, there are still people who are in that and, and they may be very happy, but that's where their, their integrity is different. I don't judge it. 
But for me at that point in time, I realized I needed to make a bigger contribution to make me feel more complete. So let's shift here to scale up your business. Last thing I'll say on this is part of it is not being aware of it. Part of it is you don't want to face it because you because if you admit what you really think you are and the mistakes you're making, like, you know, my crucible was awfully different. It was a lot of my own mistakes. So it's hard for me to ignore, you know, the $2.25 billion failure. But yeah, I mean, it's it's painful to look at yourself, at your mistakes and things that you've done wrong. So sometimes it's lack of awareness. Sometimes it's, I don't want to be aware because if I'm aware of it, it's going to be excruciatingly painful. So I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing. So it's a bit of both, but um, I think for many, but so talk about how you pivoted in a way that many, many successful private equity folks don't because you're on this train doing super well. And there's always a desire for the next deal because it's fun. It's super exciting. There's still the chase. But talk about what your whole vision is with Scale Up Your Business. You have a podcast and uh, consultancy, professional partnerships you do through it. Talk about what your vision was for Scale Up Your Business uh, as you started it. Yeah, sure. I th- One of the things that I realized um, was that I needed to make I needed to be more externally focused as opposed to focusing on myself and had a bit of coaching on that. Actually, it was about, you know, I had high achievement, low fulfillment. Why is that the case? Because I'm not making a difference enough. So the podcast was the first thing I started. So I was, I didn't quit the private equity firm straight away. I, I, I was making enough, I was making a certain amount of money that I didn't want my family to suffer by any change that I was going sure. through or any, any midlife crisis, right? Um, so I started the podcast and I did that because of two reasons. I wanted to, I wanted to help people and I wanted to have a platform to sort of share all the experiences I had in growing and scaling businesses. But if I'm honest with you guys, it was also cathartic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little bit like if you journal or you go to therapy, mm-hmm. just by saying the things it helps you. So if you go to the early episodes, a lot of it is me in a dark room, just talking into a microphone. I didn't do interviews for a long time. It's, it's me for an hour, just talking and sharing all of the war stories, right. And, and putting a perspective on it. But what I had in the back of my mind, which kind of drove that as well was what happens if I jumped over the other side of the table? So I'm not going to leave the world fully because it's all I know. It's what I've done. But what happens if I sit on the same side as the entrepreneur? What happens if, you know, when they're going to sell their business and the private equity firms come or the corporates come or whatever, I'm sitting next to them, right? With all the experiences I've had of being on that side. And so the whole thing was, what would that do? And and I started to scratch that, you know, play with that. And I realized that there was a massive gap of no one really doing that. So, So I built sort of consultancy education, all that sort of thing around how can you how can you build a business so valuable that you create a life-changing exit? Um, what does that look like, which is the scale-up piece? And then when you get to that process, the final piece, the pathway to a sale, how what sort of support do you need to be able to do that effectively so that you are leveling the table stakes against some very impressive people that may be on the other side? And so scale up your business became that. And it came off the podcast, but it became more than that because of that one decision. So it, it feels like, in a sense, it's not so much like, uh, you know, standing up for the little guy, but, you know, relative to some of these big private equity firms, it probably feels a little bit like sort of David and Goliath, or, you know, you're standing up for folks, you're helping them give some tools and, you know, maximize their value, trying to level the playing field a little bit. And, um, you know, because I guess you could see 
your dad and a lot of these a lot of these folks. You know, you want to stand up for entrepreneurs, and they may not be financial geniuses, but they have a vision for their business. And yeah, I mean, I want to say it was a ministry. I mean, you got paid for all that, but there was an altruistic. It wasn't if it just was about money. There's probably better ways to make money than helping entrepreneurs through a podcast. I mean, you've done unbelievably well. I mean, it's just staggering. But do you know what I mean? Clearly, your motive for this pivot wasn't how am I going to maximize personal, you know, Nick Bradley shareholder value, right? It, well, it, it wasn't, but but you know, the, the, I, I separated the two things, right? So, so one of the things you learn from private equity is you learn how to buy businesses, right? That's the whole right. play. Sure. So I buy businesses now. <laughs> yeah. I buy my own businesses. Sure. So I I build wealth by building out, you know, that, and I know how to roll businesses up and sell them to private equity. So I do that. Um, so, you know, the the coaching consultancy side of what I do, I don't look at that as oh my god, I've got to I've got to have a seven figure business like that. Because because I'm approaching it in a different way, it's been more successful because I can pick and choose who I work with. It's not like I don't treat it in the traditional right. business sense. Right, right. I treat it like something that's of more of an interest to me. Okay. Okay. Now that makes um that makes total sense. So um, you know, some of the things you you say and scale up your business and some of the interviews you've done is um I'm certainly aware of this. You've you've often got entrepreneurs that get their whole identity in the business. They won't let go. They won't bring professional managements. And you would know far more than I do. I don't know whether the number is 10 million or whatever the number is. At a certain point, they can't do it all, but they want to do it. You know, they're just clinging to it. And um, their identity is all wrapped up into it. They won't bring professional managers. They can still be the keeper of the vision, but bring in a good chief executive. I know you've seen this a million times, but it sounds like you're trying to come alongside those folks and help them say, hey, you know, if you want to get to the next level, or any level, you got to let go. So is that kind of certainly part of what you do with uh, entrepreneurs? Like, my quote is this, and I say this probably more times than I need to. I even said it today with a client. <laughs> I said, you can only scale a business to the level of your identity. Wow. And so if you unpack that, right, what does that mean? It means how you think about things, um, what you want to create, uh, your bigger vision. You know, I talk about 20-year visions and things like that with people. A lot of the time I'm working on the person's mindset before I'm getting involved in the skill set that's going to allow them to create what they're trying to create. And that's the piece. If you ask me why is Scale Your Business, the podcast, being successful, is it's it's really a, a, a podcast about mindset. It's it's who you need to be, you know, interwoven with how do you raise money, how do you do better sales and marketing. But it's not really about the business side as much as it is about the mindset side. Right. Because if you don't fix your mindset, the other stuff won't happen. You won't maximize profitability, shareholder value, or you know, uh, be able to sell your business at a level that you would want to. So, I mean, that's that's fascinating. But- and one of the things that, hearing you say that, Nick, one of the things that strikes me as is that there's a lot of scale up things we can say that seem to apply here. Uh, scale up your authenticity, right? If that's part of your mindset, scale up your authenticity is a way to keep yourself from that place where you're successful on the outside, but not on the inside. Scale up your significance, to use a word that Warwick uses a lot in, in, in helping people find their path to a life of significance. And then um, a word that you use when we asked you in a questionnaire uh, that we give to all guests, 
what, if we could only ask you one question, what would it be? And you said, uh, what's the impact or legacy you want to leave? There's an aspect there too, right? Of scale up your legacy. That's really kind of a, what happens when you change your mindset along the lines of what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, and and one of the things I have a I have a sort of a mantra that I created in a, in a, in a somewhat bizarre way, and it's um, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up, right? Mm-hmm. And and the whole idea, gratitude, gratitude, like you know, being happy with what you've got. You know, for for many times. For many years, I was chasing something, and and I wasn't really appreciating what I had, and that was again one of the epiphanies. You know, the whole idea about being brave. You know, I think I think so many people don't face their fears. You know, they they wait. They they, they think things are going to be much worse if they take action on something. You know, before they've even done it, and that's just such a travesty for me. Faith is not necessarily a religious thing. It's partly around self belief. Mm-hmm. And and showing up is is taking action. Again, a lot of people, you know, they're gonna do this. They should have done that. For me, it's about how you how you hold yourself accountable with a certain amount of discipline to make things happen. And so, to your point, Gary, I think scaling up is yeah, firstly, what do I need to be? Who do I need to become? And how am I going to do that to be able to build a business, build a life, make an impact? And that's kind of where everything's kind of culminated into now, which is something I wouldn't have foreseen when I started this journey a few years back. That's fascinating because it sounds like when you say have an impact, you're thinking more just return on equity. You know, you're you're thinking of it in a much broader way, right? With your family, with your employees, with society. I mean, is that fair? Like when you say impact, it's in the holistic, complete sense of that word, right? It is, and I think you know the reason I point that point around legacy is I think what I found to be true uh, is once someone ticks the box of let's call it financial freedom, you know they don't have mm-hmm. to earn money again if they don't choose to. Quite often, not always the case, but quite often they then think, how can I make a bigger impact? How how can I go and help people? It, it's almost like a Maslow's hierarchy thing. I can't remember <laughs> how that goes, but but the point being yeah. is like they then go and do something, and and I think, and this is this is probably the bigger thing for me is I think with everything that's going on in the world right now, you've got you know, economic stuff going on, political things. There's a lot of things that just seem a bit weird to me. I think entrepreneurs have the ability to make more change. You know, they certainly have more power. Certainly some of the, the multi-billionaires have, you know, they've got more money than some countries. So for me, making an impact has a, a another sort of moral and social responsibility behind it that comes from entrepreneurship. And, and that's the thing that's fascinating to me is that, um, you know, we've talked before, uh, I'm not against success at all. But success in of itself is not going to satisfy. It's never enough. You know, if the people with 10 million want 100 million, the people with 100 million want a billion, the people with a billion want 10 billion. It's like, oh, yeah, I have a nice house in the Hamptons or I don't know, somewhere in the country in England, but somebody else has that nice house in Monte Carlo or I have a small jet, somebody else has a bigger jet. It sounds silly, but you know those folks, people do think like that. It's never enough. There's always somebody else. Well, Pretty much, unless you're, you know, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, or whatever, there's always somebody else at another level. So, gosh, I guess I'll probably never be at Jeff Bezos' level. Well, the answer is, yeah, you're probably right. You probably never will be. But so what? You know, it's okay. He's been successful. Good on him. That's great. You know, uh, fantastic. He has a great business model. More power to him. But, you know, if you have your whole sense of significance in being successful in the next, you know, quarterly earnings reports, I mean, it's not going to make you happy. But when you start thinking, how can we use our business to provide a place where uh, the talent of our employees are unleashed 
we're serving the greater good of our community, shareholders, customers. We're making a global impact for good, whatever that might be. That starts scratching the itch of, you know what, now I'm feeling somewhat joyful and fulfilled. You know, I mean, it's, I don't know if you can have it all, but I think with the right mindset, maybe, sounds a little optimistic. Can you have money and be happy? Yes, but you've got to think of the bigger game, the wider impact. I mean, have you found that with people you've worked with that they're actually beginning to feel joyful and fulfilled and they're successful too? Yeah, it's absolutely possible. I mean, you've got to think of it from the perspective. I mentioned a couple of words during our conversation. I mentioned the word achievement and the word of fulfillment, right? And this was something that that I had to kind of learn myself is that you can have high achievement and high fulfillment, but high achievement in its own right won't make you happy. So, you know, you know, Porsches, Ferraris, big houses, private jets, achieve, 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 you know, I'm growing, all that sort of stuff. And unless, unless you can, you know, give something back, it doesn't help you. And, and I found that this was, this was the big thing for me, and I've seen it with others, is I just didn't understand that. The quote that changed everything for me was the Zig Ziglar quote. It's often overused, but, you know, if you help a person, you know, get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want and need in life. Now, I'd never heard that until mm. about three or four years ago, and I thought, wow, that's weird. So, <laughs> so, so if I help other people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have everything I need? Yes. So what did I do? Honestly, this is how it happened. I launched the podcast after that quote. Because I had no, I had wow. no awareness beforehand. And I, I, I bet just with the people you've interviewed and what you've been doing on Scale Up Your Business, having an impact in a broader sense, I'm assuming that's been pretty immensely fulfilling. The stories you get to share and the messages and the feedback from people saying, you know, Nick, you changed my life, you changed my business. It's not so much about ego, but when you feel like you're doing something good for somebody, that there's the, there's a feeling you get that it's indescribable that level of joy and fulfillment. I mean, has that been your journey? It's been life changing for me in terms of how I. I mean, if I, I look different, <laughs> like, you know, I feel very very different. I have I feel I have more freedom as a result of it. So I get every single week I'll get a number of people send me a message, you know, LinkedIn or personal mm-hmm. email, telling me their story of how they've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, they've implemented the stuff that I've suggested. And they've got a successful business and that's allowing them to do other things. Mm-hmm. And I go, really? I still shock myself a bit, but I, <laughs> I get a lot of, I get a lot of personal pride from, you know, my small way, my small way, if you like, of, of making a difference there. Well, you probably have people say, not only is my business successful, my marriage is better. I'm giving back to the community. I'm happy in the general sense of the word. You, I'm, I'm sure you must've had those messages too, right? Yeah, because because I focus a lot on, as I said, personal development. Sure. If you you know personal development and scale up businesses, so a lot of it's like you know what's your routine, you know what are you sure. doing, you know how are you looking after your health. We do cover quite a broad range of things. So I've had people who have you know lost all this weight, feel better about themselves. It's not a health podcast, but it comes back to the point we've discussed a few times: identity, right? You know, how do you want to be, and you know, are you asking enough of yourself? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you are now helping people live fulfilled lives. I mean, as, as Gary said earlier, you know, helping people scale up their their business, but their legacy, their life and significance. I mean, to me, you know, I've found, you know, if you want to be joyful and fulfilled, from our perspective, you've got to live a life significance, which is a life on purpose dedicated to serving others. That's the secret. And I'm not so much judging people. It's just objectively I don't know any human that's happy without doing that. And, you know, you can complain about the creator or the universe or whatever. It's just 
is what it is. And, you know, kind of if, if, if you're human, you got to live with it, which is you want to be happy and fulfilled. You got to figure out more than the bank account and, you know, how you can help others. And you've certainly, you know, um, have proven that. I mean, you know, you think of some of the great robber barons in the, in the 1800s in the U.S., there aren't too many that didn't learn that later in life. You've got, you know, Rockefeller has, you know, foundations, Vanderbilt, I mean, you know, Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie, pretty much most of them, you know, they, they kind of did whatever they could to be successful. Back then, the laws weren't what it is now, so there probably weren't as many laws to break. You just did whatever you could to win. And I'm sure most, if not all of them, were extremely cutthroat. But then at a certain point, I don't know if they grew a conscience, but they said, is this all there is? And so they set up these massive foundations. I just find it fascinating that some of the, the wealthiest people in the history of the world, in terms of you know the growth of their business, equity, and all the rest, found that sense of, gosh, there's got to be more to life than just money. I've got to give back somehow. Now, you could say, well, it's to assuage a guilty conscience. Maybe, maybe. But I just find it fascinating that a lot of these folks that at some point said there's more to life than just money. I want to have a bigger impact. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, but you 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 answered this already by saying, yeah. you know, it's the human, it's the human condition, right? Like I, I, I this is this is the thing. Like, you know, I, I don't think people who who go out there and and like let's say I'm always gonna play to win. You, know, you see this in sport. Like there's a great documentary about Michael Jordan, right? You know, the last dance where he, you know, he he's he's so driven so driven to win. He's not a very nice person. You look at the scoreboard, you look at the, the championships and you go, wow. But you know, he, he seems quite conflicted to me, right? So I think there's a point here where, you know, success on the outside, a lot of people look successful, but unless they're doing the inner stuff, unless they're doing what we just talked about, you know, a lot of them are just not happy. And ultimately we want to be happy, right? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned sports. I mean, I think of, you know, uh, as you would know, all Australians tend to be uh, follow tennis and you know, uh, at least there's about as many that play tennis as golf in Australia, which is not true in the U.S., at least not for men. Uh, but I think of Roger Federer, and he's somebody that, you know, uh, equal uh, holder of, you know, 20 uh, majors, which will, you know, probably be broken by Djokovic pretty soon, if not Nadal. But you just sense that he is internally very happy. He has a couple sets of twins and, you know, wife that he loves. He has a foundation that helps a lot of folks in Africa, I mean, he seems genuinely at peace with himself. It's not about numbers. He just loves doing it. But yet there are other things that he uses his fame for to help others. I mean, to me, he seems like he's living, relatively speaking, a balanced life, a life of significance. Everybody thinks he's a super nice guy. And he seems to be at peace. Well, there's some lessons to be learned from from him and, and others, you know, they're doing it right in sports, if you will. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I met, um, I had the privilege of meeting Hugh Jackman a few years ago. Okay. Right? And, yeah. and, and he was, you know, pretty damn nice as well. <laughs> yeah. Say, yeah. Right? The, the famous. You know, successful. So, so you don't have to be an ass if I can use yeah. that word on your podcast, <laughs> yeah. you know, to be successful. And I think, I think, you know, if I go back to the story I shared, I, I kind of thought you had to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I surrounded myself with, with like types, uh, and it was only only when I made some of the different choices that I realized, you know, whether it's balance or whether it's just the fact that, you know, you can you can do things in different ways. But you know, the, the key thing, just to do an underline of this, you know, people's values are different. You know, sure. it, the, the, what I was doing just didn't work for me, and I had to change that. And I think that's one of the things I want to get across. If you've got that sort of feeling, you're listening to this, and you've got that feeling in your stomach that. 
I, I meant to do more or I, what I'm doing now is not my purpose or I need to change. The worst thing I think you can do is just not listen to that, that mm-hmm. niggle or that voice. Because my belief, right, is at some point, if you don't, it's either going to do what happened to me, you might get sick, that might be a blessing for you because it might make you change, or worse, you're going to get to the end and you're going to go, did I actually play all out? Did I play the game that was going to get me what was really going to make me happy? I, I want listeners to hear what you just said, because I think it's it's really so profound, is that um, I find, at least within my coaching, I'm a certified executive coach, the issue is not so much people's values are all messed up. The issue is more often than not, they're not living in light of their own values. I mean, you, from your admission, kind of what? So it's like, if you live out of line with what you believe in your heart, that will cause you anxiety, poor health. That will that will take a toll. So it's not about making other people happy in the sense of living their values. If you live out of line with your own values, you know, that is the path to poor health and misery. And so that's really, in a sense, in another sense, you could you could say you're fighting for people's souls. I mean, one other kind of beat on this is that, um, you know, there's this notion of, well, is it success or significance? You know, I would argue that um, if you want to be truly successful, even financially, you're, you're leaving, you know, if you're Mr. Competitive or Miss Competitive, you're leaving stuff on the table if you don't look at this wider game, because you could be more successful, even financially successful than you are, if you think about maybe, you know, to use an oft-used phrase, treasuring your employees, you know, with your customers. It's like, rather than trying to say, well, yeah, you should have read the fine print in the contract. Customers aren't going to like that. You may be, quote unquote, legally fine, but they'll go elsewhere. If you want to create long-term profitability, if you are seen as somebody that cares about their employees, their customers, their world, their community, all things being equal, you know, who would you rather work with? You know, the guy or the woman that kind of has that more altruistic uh, look on life or somebody else. So again, I'm an idealist at heart, but I think if anything, you won't be less successful doing what you're advocating about, scale up your business, scale up your legacy, if you will, scale up your significance. If anything, I think you could be as if not even more successful. So it's not it's not an either or choice. It's not like you know, living your values means you're going to be less successful in the long term. But I don't know, does that make any kind of sense? I know I'm a little idealistic here. But you know, people are scared, I think, of being vulnerable, right? So so the point is if you if you do some deeper work on actually what you do value, if you really understand what that means and why your values are what they are, because because for me, it was explained to me, and I believe this to be true as well, is that your values aren't just a couple of words that you put on a piece of paper, like integrity, honesty, blah, it's not that, right? It's more deep-seated than that. And it was expressed to me that sometimes your voids become your values. Mm-hmm. The things that you missed out on growing up or whatever that weren't around you, they become the things you value the most. And so once you understand those things, they also then help you to, to understand what motivates you. And then, you know, once you once you have more self-awareness, you then I think have more completeness. So I'm happy being vulnerable about what you know I've done and what I've been, you know, I said before we press record, you can ask me anything. I'm not gonna <laughs> I'll just answer it. Because I've done the work to to understand what makes me who I am. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people have never done that. Therefore, they don't lean into it, and therefore they're too scared to lean into it in case it unpack something uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but sometimes you've got to go there. 
that bell that you heard go off wasn't because Nick said ass. Ass is perfectly okay to <laughs> say right. on the show. No, that's perfectly okay. The bell was the captain announcing that it's about time to land the plane. So fasten your seatbelts and uh, get ready for landing. But before we do land the plane, Nick, I would be remiss if I did not give you the chance to let listeners know where they can find the Scale Up Your Business podcast and where they can learn more about your consultancy work. Yeah, sure. Well, actually, you know what's quite interesting? Um, in two days' time, I know people will listen to this you know, in the dimension of time, right? So what does that mean? Um, Scale Up Your Business is, is now called Scale Up with Nick Bradley okay. for two reasons, um, partly because the guests that I've got lined up to come on the show are not just business magnates or <laughs> people like that. I've got some pretty, I've got some interesting people from the world of sport coming on and all sorts. So so we're talking a little bit more about scaling up more generally. Um, but yeah, you can find that Spotify, iTunes, uh, you can look for my my somewhat ugly face on the front of it. Yeah, that's cool. Look me up there. Um, and then, yeah, if people want to kind of, you know, the, the coaching and consultancy we do is um, at Scale Up Your Business. It's S-U-Y-B, so scaleupyourbusiness.global. And you can check us out there. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Nick. I mean, as we kind of close, when you're thinking, it's interesting you're changing your name to Scale Up. You know, what would be a message of of hope, uh, encouragement that you would have for folks that, that are listening to you, maybe business owners, maybe people in general, what would be a kind of a message of hope that you would offer? I think, you know, I've said this, I said this earlier that I, I feel very, very lucky and, and, and a huge amount of gratitude that I had my dad come back, you know, him passing away also. And then the teeth thing, all of that happening in, you know, I mean, I, that all happened in my sort of you know, late thirties, early forties around that time. So I, I had the message and, and had I've not done that, had that not have happened, I probably would have stayed in my lane, you know? So my message to people is, as I, as I said previously, if you're doing something you hate, right. Oh, you're doing something that doesn't feel aligned with what you really want to be doing. You owe it to yourself and to others to explore that. And that doesn't mean you know, the, the romantic ideal of burning the boats, giving up everything. I'm going to quit my job tomorrow and go and do this new venture. It doesn't mean that. <laughs> okay. It means creating the, the, the platform, the space to explore. Because if you don't do that, we've, we've said before, I think, I think, you know, you could then regret. But what I will also say from someone who's jumped to the other side is it's really good on the other side. So any fear that you have to do that is absolutely worth, you know, pushing through to, to get to something which you know potentially could change the whole game, the whole experience for you. I have been in the communications business long enough to know when the last word's been spoken on a subject and Nick has just spoken it. Listener, thank you for spending this time with us on Beyond the Crucible. That's still the name of the show. We're not changing it in the near future, we don't think. <laughs> um, but who knows? Uh, never say never. And until the next time, though, we are together, we ask that you remember this, and, and you heard it on display in our conversation with Nick Bradley today. Your crucibles, we realize, we know, are painful. Uh, they are traumatic. They're difficult to move beyond. But they're not the end of your story. And that's what this show is all about. And I hope that's what you glean from this conversation with Nick. His teeth incident, as he calls it, despite all of our 
our chuckles at the name was painful, but it wasn't the end of his story. In fact, it was the start of a new chapter in his story. And your crucible can be the start of a new chapter in your story as well. And it can be the best chapter in your story, as it has been for Nick, because where it leads you to, if you learn the lessons of that crucible, is to a life of significance.